Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, I'm with Jonathan Rosen, founder of CollaborX, a heart-centered peer advisory and professional development community. I'm Kevin Perlmutter, chief strategist and founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand strategy and neuromarketing consultancy that taps into emotional insight to strengthen connections between brands and people. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. And I'm curious how my guests are creating what I call limbic sparks, which happen when emotional motivation meets brand desire. I love talking with brand leaders who are turning emotional insight into a competitive advantage to drive business growth for the brands that they serve. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today and let's talk Limbic Spark. Kevin, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. This is great. I can't wait to have this conversation with you. This is going to be awesome. Uh, I love when we talk. We talk often and I do enjoy it. And I'm psyched for this. How are you today? I'm psyched also. That's a very 80s word, but I'm I know you call too. it an 80s word, but I use it all the time. And I know <laughs> I know how much you enjoy it, which is why I threw I it in today. Okay. Um, you know, I want to ask you this. You've built a business around bringing people together. So I'm curious, what are the most important values that you look for in the people who you surround yourself with? If, if I have a business that's all about bringing people together, then it has to be it, the people that I bring together has to value wanting to be together. You can tell when someone cares about um, relationships and cares about uh, that they're other focused that they're the type of people that are that are that are nice, that are kind, that are smart, that are collaborative. And generally people who feel good by making others feel good. It's it's kind of aligning the stuff that we do of bringing people together with people who actually value being together with other people. As you said, you can tell. You can tell if they really want to be there. I'm also curious because we've known each other for a few years now, and I have yet to see you be anything but enthusiastic. So I'm curious about what motivates you and keeps you moving forward. That's, that's fun. You know, I, I don't know. I have this, it must be some recessive gene. Maybe it's not recessive, but something that, that I could only do something in my life that I truly believe in. Like I could never take a job in high school doing something that was just going to bore me to death. You know, it'd have to be something. So of course I was a camp counselor instead because it's bringing people together, it's community. So, um, so you know, what motivates me is kind of these kind of, I, I guess, innate qualities of, of wanting to develop this sense of community. It's also my desire to, um, I know it sounds cliche and you probably, all your guests probably say this, make a difference in other people's lives. But I view what we all should do. We should all be leaders versus followers and see what kind of impact we can make on other people. I'm also a big proponent of nice guys finishing first. <laughs> so I think nice and kindness and empathy should be and is people's competitive advantage. It's, you know, unfortunately, it becomes somewhat of a differentiator at times between what we do and what others do. Um, 
And it's also, you know, everything I do, I, you know, I want it to be um, kind of an expression of caring. And uh, if I keep those kind of guideposts in mind, then, um, then I have to be on the right track. So those are the things that motivate me. So I'm going to ask you to take that a little bit further. I'd love to know more about you as a person, but through the lens of brands. Can you talk about a few brands that paint a picture about what you're all about and why you chose them? I'm thinking like what brands have I come across and where I've ha- have I had interactions or where it's felt right to me. And, uh, you know, I was trying to, you know, I, I mean, I know places like my neighborhood, like there are two neighborhood coffee shops and, and one of them just has a different feel. They're both non Starbucks coffee shops, but one of them has this different feel from the other. So I always go to that one. It's more, welcoming more community more places to sit and lounge the people there aren't rushed it's it's it has a nicer feeling but in so but i had to look up you know like kind of national brands and what they're trying to put across and i came up with a few so one was um coke because they kind of represent they're they try to represent happiness and optimism, you know, put a smile on your face, very upbeat, things like that. Um, another was Ikea because it represents things are supposed to be easy, inclusive, unpretentious. Mm-hmm. So that simplicity. Another one that I thought of was Tom's Shoes because it's purpose-driven Caring, supporting, helpful, things like that. And then, of course, uh, probably a lot of people go with this one, which is Apple. Think differently, creative, thoughtful. So it's a combination of a lot of those things that I think represent some of the characteristics that I'm looking for in in what I do at Collaborex. I'm always so um, uh, happy when I hear my guests name the brands that paint a picture of what they're all about because it always it's it's just it always brings such a dimension to them that I learn from yet find to be so true. And I I could see Coke, IKEA, Tom Shoes, and Apple all enjoying coffee with you at your local coffee shop. So that's really awesome. I want to turn to your career uh and 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 your pre-collaborex career. You've had such diverse experiences uh, from founding a furniture company, an import-export European furniture company. Um, you've been an advisor to small business owners and you launched Collaborex. What have been some of the most important milestones for you in your career? Well, you know, my my first career path is, you know, when I was growing up, I, I wanted to be uh, Sandy Koufax. I, I didn't want to be a pitcher, major league pitcher. I wanted to be him. Mm. And, and, and the reason is because I don't know if or your listeners recall, but he, uh, he did something ex- unbelievably brave. And I guess I was 10 or 12 years old when he did it, which is he refused to pitch in a World Series game because it was a Jewish holiday. And he was the star of the Dodgers at the time. 
So he refused to pitch on that day. It was it was a really big deal. And it, it kind of stuck with me of standing up for what you believe in. But my, I don't know, uh, my kind of inspiration for founding Collabrex, first of all, I always, um, looking back, I always loved group activities. So, and that's where I felt most comfortable. I, I'm very against the 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 idea of kind of going it alone and and just trying to uh, really compete in the marketplace as a as as an individual. You should always surround yourself with other people that have other skill sets that you don't have and get advice and counsel from them. But um, I always thought there was a void in the marketplace, especially in the kind of the peer advisory networking industries. Uh, the peer advisory groups had some limitations and so did the traditional networking um, organizations. So I try to, you know, based on the belief that relationships are everything, I created a um, an organization where relationships matter, where really that's the foundation for all the work that we do together um, in that we build these impactful personal relationships, get to know each other on a personal level and uh, kind of allow our brains to, um, you know, make that switch to, to you get to know each other, you build relationships, you want to help each other, and then you, you apply that help in, in whatever help that people need. Um, in the early years when I started Collabrex, it did have a few, we had more transactional um, elements to it. Uh, I must say when I started for the first uh, entrepreneurs can really understand this for the first couple of years, you say to yourself, what was I thinking? You <laughs> thought this was a business, <laughs> but you know, if you're gritty enough and you stick to your guns, you're going to succeed. When you were starting it out, what, what was your initial vision for what it could become? And I know we're going to talk about how that might've evolved, but what was it initially? Initially it was very transactional. It was really introducing people to, to individuals they wanted to be introduced to. It was, we based a lot of our methodologies on um, using LinkedIn in a conference room setting and sharing connections between the individuals. But wow. what, but it went like this. After a very short period of time, I would turn to the person to my right and I would say, welcome to Collabrex. Who do you want to be introduced to? And they would look at me and go, oh, I was supposed to do homework. Wow. Wow. And they and I would go, OK, you can't think of anyone. Tell us about your business. What are your struggles? What are your challenges? What are your success stories? Does everyone understand what they're talking about? Can anyone help? And it evolved into a more peer advisory conversation. Wow. So when you first started out, that was the it was a very transactional point of view. It was a very transactional vision. And you were doing these sessions live. You were in, in conference, conference rooms. rooms and coffee shops and getting people together. And you were facilitating all those conversations. Is that correct? Everyone bring your laptop. Let's log into LinkedIn and tell us who you want to meet. Wow. Wow. Right. And, and it, 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 it was an effective way of introducing people because if you have 10 people in the room and they have 500 first connections and you have 5,000 first connections sitting around that conference table and 5 million second connections, according to LinkedIn. So if you wanted to meet someone, 
if that person was in your metropolitan area, someone in that room is going to know that person pretty well or be a strong second connection. What was the pivot point for how Collaborex, when Collaborex started evolving? Was it COVID? Was it was it when COVID hit or was it before then? So before that, we switched to this much more peer advisory uh, format because that's what people wanted. So I would say to people, would you rather, you know, solve common business problems and build relationships and, you know, and, and work on um, using that as a way to uh, kind of uh, get the help that you need versus the very transactional and people wanted the relationships. So we pivoted a little after we started within about a year or two after we started. And then when COVID hit, I all our meetings were in conference rooms and I thought, okay, we're switching to Zoom. This is not good. This is not a good thing for my business because we're so relationship focused. So I said, what can I do? I didn't want to put my model on Zoom like many organizations did. And it didn't work as well that in that medium. So what we said is, how can I, what can I do to make my groups be more personal and more impactful and more productive than they were when we met in person? So the obvious answer, which came to me was lean more into your mission of relationship building and make everything that you do during those meetings have to do with building those meaningful, impactful relationships. Create, do things to create stimulating conversations between the members that are personal and authentic so people can really get to know each other get to know who they are versus what they do. And that really sets the tone for we're here to get to know each other on a personal level because business is all about relationships. It doesn't matter if you're calling on the biggest company in the world, you're calling on an individual and you have to find out, you have to develop that sense of trust between you. So, so they, they'll want, they'll trust that uh, whatever services that you provide, that you will do it in their best interest. So, we we started to introduce um, education, more educational videos and TED Talks and other things that will um, just stimulate those great conversations between people. We do a lot of breakouts. We come back, we share stories, and you really see kind of the bond that people are building with each other. They sincerely like and want to help each other you got there by talking to members and understanding what they want. And that sounds like it's been a consistent theme for you since launching Collaborex is every once in a while going back to your members and 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 making sure that that they're getting the most out of the experience, which is which is really neat. One of the other things you did that I'd want to touch on briefly is that you scaled the business um, going from yourself as the facilitator to all groups to actually having um, a handful, half a dozen or so plus or minus <laughs> facilitators that now run the groups on your behalf. And what, I mean, I, the question that I want to ask, which which I find to be incredible is how did you do it in a way where the personality and, a, and, and of, of the facilitators comes through individually, but the culture and the feeling of Collaborix remains consistent no matter who's leading? So it's interesting. When I used to do all the groups, 
and back then we, we still have about the same amount of groups, but I used to do about 10 in-person groups a month and they were in, they were in person. So I'm driving all over the New York Metro area. Someone once said to me, you're doing all the groups, you're facilitating all the groups. What are you a crazy person? And my response was, that's the fun part. <laughs> so I get to do the fun part. It's my business. And that's when you see the magic in the room, the fun part comes through. But what someone once gave me some advice about facilitators, everyone's going to attract the type of people that they attract. The analogy that they gave me, they said, your group is like a yoga studio that started off as one location and then became a franchise. Everyone went to that yoga studio because they love the instructor. Oh, she's so good, right? And then they became a franchise and they had other yoga instructors that also had their characteristics. They're going to attract the people that they attract. So it's so true with our facilitators too. They all have completely different personalities and they attract the members that are attracted to those personalities. Um, we, you know, we maintain a structure so it always feels like a Collaborex group. And that's how we, we want our groups to always come across is that, that same caring and feeling and relationship building and professional development content that we provide. Yeah, that's incredible. And I've seen it across different facilitators and it's it's really amazing how you do that. I want to turn to your very recent brand evolution. And you've, you know, I, I know this because we spend a fair amount of time together. You've done a lot of work, a lot of thinking, a lot of what I call insights discovery before coming to any specific ideas on what Collaborex should stand for going forward. So I want to start there. You've spoken with a lot of members and, and, and how did you decide to do that? And why was that so important? So it's the responsibility of any business owner to constantly try and improve and make your product remarkable and also to try and um, express what you do in a in in a better way each and every day to the marketplace out there so if if you know anyone sits around and they've gotten their business to a particular level and they just sit on their hands and say yeah well this is good I'm gonna go on vacation now and take it from there it's it's things change and it's gonna start to die you have to keep trying to improve and optimize whenever you can. So in the, we had a surge of membership um, after COVID started, people were looking for places to, um, to join. Some people that joined were, um, had a more transactional mindset that we did. So we lost members. So I had to, the, the problem that we had is that we were attracting the wrong members. We were attracting people that wanted one thing. They were looking for a better networking group. They would come to us and they failed to see the connection between the relational work that we do 
and the concrete results that can result from that. So our job was then to do a much better job of attracting the right people. So people, when they come to our groups, they get what they expected. So then what were the biggest insights that you discovered when it comes to your understanding of who Collaborex is for and the benefits that they really get out of it? Well, you know, it, to me, it comes down to having this either relational or transactional mindset. So people that come to our groups with a transactional mindset, meaning, yeah, I'm going to go to the group meetings and hope I get more business. And, you know, I'll tell people what great products and services I provide and see if they know anyone that could use my products and services. Those people in our groups never achieve their transactional goals. But the ones that come with the relational mindset, and this is the values that we do provide, which is, I really want to come because I really want to be better at what I do and I want to learn. So ours is all about building relationships through this group learning. The learning we do is on mostly on professional development, professional growth skills, personal growth skills, things like that. And so the people that come to learn and be better at what they do and say, I'm going to engage with the compute with the community. I'm going to uh, build relationships with as many people as I can nurture those relationships. Those people always achieve their transactional goals. So it's the relationships that lead to the caring that lead to the concrete results. So we're always looking for that population of people that know that relationships matter. And there, there are so many people out there that know it intuitively, but they haven't related it to their business success. So many people are professional service providers. They're providing services. So relationships always matter. That's, that's their whole business is based on relationships on talking to individuals or corporations. And language is very important as well. You use words like heart-centered, peer advisory, and community. You're avoiding words like networking. Why is that? Uh, people, you know, words have certain associations with people. And, and even though you can say we are a networking group, people associate networking with with transactional, with sales, with with um, referral requirements, with with being singular in in a value, which is you know quantities of semi cold leads, with elevator pitches, with um, with facilitators that are doing it for their own best interest, not for the best interest of the group with lots of rules and regulations and slaps on the wrist for for not uh, for, for not providing a quantity of of leads to other people so you know in our groups we avoid it because in our groups people help each other because they want to not because the rules of the group tell them they have to so we we wanted to really express and show people that we are we are a community. 
where you know we're we're a place where people can come where they can belong that in this competitive environment we all find ourselves in especially in dense urban environments where there are you know thousands of people that do the same thing that you do it's so much better to be part of a community of like-minded people that are there to help and support you it's a much better business strategy than going it alone it's it's you're going to get the the feedback and the insight and the you know the education and experience that everyone brings to the table we try and make our groups as diverse as possible so you get different types of opinions we think it's gold when someone says oh i never would have thought of it that way I love this focus on emotional benefits and how you're really thinking about what matters most to the people who are members and using that insight to know that there are others out there looking for those same benefits. It's a really awesome way to think about it uh, that, that you know I'm a big fan of. Completely. We are, we are also, <laughs> uh, you know it when you see it. You know, we're a gut feeling. We are something that uh, I think sometimes people have trouble verbalizing. But when they, when people come to a group, I've had members come and say, I've been in networking groups for 30 years and I've never seen anything like this. This is, this is incredible. This is what I'm looking for. They intuitively know the values that we can provide for them and their business. So my question for you is why do you think that some brands are still neglecting this power of emotion and emotional insights in their approach to growing their business? Um, I think it's the same reason that people gravitate towards being transactional versus relational. I think because being more thoughtful about things and digging deeper and and trying to to determine what's what's in the head of your customers it's hard work it's easier to look on the surface and say well we're just going to be you know the cheapest price and that's what we do you know it's 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 harder to provide value than price it's you have to be more thoughtful. You have to be more long-term oriented versus short-term making a quick sale. Because if you, if you're do, in general, if you're doing business with someone and it's based on the transactional, it's like, here's a product or service I have, and this is the cost. And you're doing it based on that. Then when that person finds your product or service for a penny less, they'll go somewhere else because that's what the relationship was based on. That's what the, the transaction was based on. But it's, if it's based on a relational mindset, you get people are buying value. They're buying it's more longevity. So I, I, I think that corporations avoid it because it's harder, because they have a more short-term mentality, because they're more transactional oriented just from, you know, kind of decades of culture, um, that, and I also think it's fear. I think that they think if they're, if they're 
vulnerable with their target market and they look at being emotional as vulnerable, then their market may reject them. Hmm. So they're, they think it's a soft skill, skill that it's too touchy feely, but what it is, it's really a, a hard skill. It's a, it's, it's harder work. It's more introspection. Um, and sometimes I also think they're insecure. I think they're always looking over their shoulder, seeing what their competition is doing and, um, you know, saying, okay, well, we got to sell more in this quarter. So we don't have time for that, that foundational work. Wow. What do you believe then are the best ways to create limbic sparks? Those moments when emotional motivation meets brand desire. First of all, any company should should define your mission, vision, and values the moment you incorporate. You should figure out what what's valuable valuable to you and use that as your roadmap for making all your decisions. Then you have you have to engage people. You know, it's the way that businesses engage markets is the same that individuals engage individuals um you know i it's a silly analogy but people use it all the time you know if you go on a first date and you talk about how great you are you're not going to get a second date but if you find out if you connect with the person and you you know it's one of those conversations oh my god we were there till three in the morning and we we're still talking you know that's special. That's that's something that you formed a bond. So you have to engage people really in an authentic, vulnerable, sometimes emotional conversations. Um, talk about the things that are important to all of us. Um, you know, we try and create these so-called emotional connections and sparks between our members by talking about things that people think don't have to do with business, um, you know, gratitude, resilience, happiness, things like that. Using the power of, of you know, emotional connections to, um, to bond with your market in any way you can. I love that. As a brand leader, what is it you know now that you wish you knew years ago, perhaps something that others can learn from? Well, as I said, you should always, you know, prioritize, define who you are, find a North Star right away, figure out, define your values, um, figure out your mission statements, figure out your vision, what you want it to be, and use that as your roadmap right from the beginning. I think I waited a lot of this work that I've done now. I wish that I did when I started the company, you know six or seven years ago. Um, another thing is to re realize that your hopes and expectations are not the same thing. That, you know, your hopes are kind of based on desires and dreams. Well, I hope I get more members. I hope this, and I hope, you know, this, this blog post or LinkedIn post goes viral. Well, your expectations have to be based on reality and market conditions. So you have to alter your expectations based on the current conditions and then take action to 
to optimize and improve. And um, the other things that I can say is don't, don't be afraid to stick to your guns and do and use, you know, and, and fall back on your gut feelings and um, just try and be the best at one thing. And that's it. Be the best at one thing. I love that. That is fantastic. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me. Of course, I'm so glad we did it. For more, go to limbicsparks.com.